Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. If you will, take your scriptures in hand and turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Verses 36 through 45, we'll be reading that in just a moment. We always begin the year with a renewed emphasis and commitment to prayer. Amen? Because we recognize that without him, we're in trouble. Amen? We can't do anything. Amen? We need his help. This morning's message is titled, Don't Fall Asleep in the Battle. Don't Fall Asleep in the Battle. Now, let me ask you a question. Be honest with yourself. You don't have to answer it out loud. But have you ever fallen asleep when you shouldn't have? (laughs) Some of you are honest, amen. Has anybody ever fallen asleep while driving? I see a couple of hands going up. Some people are in trouble. (laughs) Have you ever fallen asleep in church? (laughs) Some of you are raising your head. We used to have an elderly Hispanic gentleman that would sit on this side and he would fall asleep. And while I'm preaching, I would see it, his head go down like that. And then you know how sometimes you you suddenly wake up. So he would suddenly wake up and he'd go, amen, amen, hallelujah. (laughs) And always knew he had woken up. (laughs) Have you ever fallen back asleep on a Sunday morning and missed church? Ooh. I think several people attend Bedside Assembly of God with Pastor Pillow sometimes. Amen. (laughs) Have you ever fallen asleep when you were praying? I think a lot of us, as, as I hear the response, have done that. Someone once asked their pastor, Pastor, I can't sleep. I have insomnia. Do you know a cure for insomnia? The pastor said, sure, just pray. Prayer is one thing that the enemy will put a stop to any way that he can because he'd much rather have you get a good night's sleep than have you praying. So the minute you start praying, especially if you wait till late at night, you fall asleep. If you have fallen asleep praying, you are in good company because even Jesus' closest disciples fell asleep when they were supposed to to be praying. Read me with me if you will, Matthew chapter 26 verses 36 through 45. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane and he said, "Sit here while I go over there to pray." He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, "My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death." Stay here and keep watch with me. And by keep watch, he meant to be vigilant in prayer. All right. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground praying. My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them praying. Nope. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh or the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time. And if you really needed prayer, these were not the guys to ask. Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. 
When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. As Jesus agonized in prayer that night under the weight of his divine mission, the sacrifice of his life on the cross, he asked his closest disciples, this was his inner circle, guys. These were the people closest to him on earth. And he asked them to pray with him, Peter, James, and John. Watch and pray with me. But when he returns, he finds them sleeping, not one time, not two times, but three times. And with disappointment, he asks, could you not stay awake and watch with me for even one hour? What's happening here is a battle was being waged, several battles. There was a battle between the flesh against the spirit. The powers of darkness were arrayed in battle against Jesus. All the powers of hell were mounted to keep him from his divine destiny to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross. And Jesus is feeling the weight of this battle, and he needs his disciples to be spiritually vigilant in this hour of anguish prayer, in this time of the most grave battle of the universe. But you know what? They let him down. What a tragedy to be asleep in the most critical time of battle. They slept when they needed most to be alert, to be vigilant, and to be praying. How could they do such a thing? But before we criticize them for sleeping, we should look more closely because we just might see ourselves in them. We must not be caught sleeping or unaware of the importance of our purpose for being called to the kingdom of God for such a time as this. We must not allow ourselves to become drowsy and complacent when we should be most fervent and vigilant about our mission and our calling as the end of time draws near. This is a critical hour. The Bible says the enemy knowing that his time is short will come down with a fury against the earth. I believe these are the times in which we are living. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance through Christ. And as the hour grows late and millions of lost souls hang in the balance, we who are supposed to be the instruments of God to bring in the great end time harvest must be more alert and more vigilant in prayer than ever before. Amen. And we learn several vital truths from Jesus' sleeping disciples that should stir us to not be caught sleeping when we should be praying. The first truth that I see here is the urgency of the battle must be matched by fervency in prayer. 
The urgency of the battle must be matched by our fervency in prayer. Folks, spiritual sleep can cost us the battle. Spiritual sleep can cost us the battle. That night in the garden, a battle was being fought that would affect the destiny of every human being. But the disciples were so spiritually dull that they just about missed it. Sleep here is not merely a physical sleep, but folks, it refers to a spiritual sleep. Because if they had not been spiritually complacent, then they would have been vigilant in prayer. Amen? So it's not just physical sleep, but that physical sleep was the result of spiritual drowsiness. For if they had been spiritually vigilant, if they had been spiritually sensitive, they would have grasped with Jesus the urgency of the battle. But they missed it because they were spiritually asleep. And so they were physically asleep. They were not praying. Folks, the battle is won or lost in prayer. Turn to your neighbor and say, the battle is won or lost in prayer. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, the battle is won or lost in prayer. This story takes place. In the Garden of Gethsemane, and as we read, Gethsemane speaks of an, oil, an olive press where olives are crushed to re- release the valuable oil that they contain. Several years ago, I had the privilege of traveling with a friend to Spain, and we took several tours, and one of the tours took us through the many oil, uh, uh, olive, um, I don't know what the right word, groves, olive groves uh, that they had. And we were able to see modern day olive presses. But there are these huge machines. Have you ever seen um, on your olive oil, if you buy first cold pressed olive oil, which is the best olive oil? Because they are not mechanically squeezed. They are squeezed with an olive press. And so they have these big vats and they put all of the olives in there and then they put a weight on it. And over time, the weight squeezes and squeezes and squeezes, and the precious, delicious olive oil comes out. I, was, I saw that, and when I saw that, I was like, this is what, what Gethsemane is talking about, the, the olive press where that weight comes down and crushes. That weight came down and was crushing Jesus, crushing his flesh, so the sweet oil of the Holy Spirit would flow forth from his life. Amen? So that night in the garden, Jesus' flesh was being crushed to release the oil of healing, to, to release the oil of salvation. And that night in the garden, Jesus would go head to head with the forces of darkness as he wrestled to make the most important decision of his life. And for a moment, it appears as though his flesh wavers under the crushing pressure of the mission, and he cries out for his disciples to pray together with him. And as he prays, he cries out to the father if it is possible let this cup of suffering pass from me his flesh is crying out under the weight of the suffering and that night in the garden the battle would be won or lost that night in the garden as the battle raged hot to keep Jesus from the cross he's praying for this cup to pass he knew what was coming this was the reason that he had been sent into the world to be the savior of mankind but now the actual moment is upon him have you ever had said yes to something but when the moment came it was another story it's like why did I commit to this 
You know, so he said yes to the Father, but now the, the time is upon him. This was the reason he had been sent into the world, but now he feels the anguish. He's made to face the horror of the suffering that will be encompassed in fulfilling his mission. The cross would mean that he would die a brutal, lonely death. Crucifixion has been described as the most horrific form of torture and execution ever devised by man. And the weight of this is upon him. He would suffer this lonely, torturous, shameful death. His enemies would ridicule him and all of his friends would abandon him. Worse still, it would mean that Jesus, who knew no sin, would become sin for us. This innocent, righteous man who had never known the slightest taint of guilt would now bear the sins of the whole world. All of my sins, all of your sins would be placed upon him. He would absorb the wickedness of every murderer, every rapist, every child molester, every sin, right down to the smallest white lie of every person who has ever lived, including every person alive today. He would suffer the penalty for our sins. Yet this description of what Jesus would endure still does not empty the cup of suffering. Because at the bottom of this bitter cup of suffering is the fact that he would be forsaken by the Father. Because as he became sin for us, the Father, who is of two pure eyes, eyes to even look upon sin would turn away. The father who loved his son would not intervene to rescue him from the cross. The father would turn away for a moment. The father had never been apart from the son, yet in the son's deepest hour of need, the father is not there to rescue him. Jesus had become sin, and the Father will have nothing to do with him in that moment. And Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew in the garden that night that taking the sins of the world on the cross would cause him to be forsaken by the Father. And he experiences the full brunt of sin's penalty when he is cut off from the Father. So Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane envisions the horror that lies ahead and the battle is being waged in him. He must make a decision, God's will or my will. And the decision will carry the weight of eternity. The decision will affect the destiny of millions. The decision would affect our destiny. The decision will determine the defeat of the kingdom of darkness and the triumph of the kingdom of God. The battle wages and Jesus cries, Father, if it is possible, take this cup of suffering from me. And in this moment, as the battle wages hot, he turns to his disciples only to find them sleeping. But he cannot sleep because he understands the urgency of the hour. He understands the severity of the battle. 
And he realizes that the battle would be determined that night. Folks, the battle was determined that night before he ever went to the cross. He, did, he realizes the battle would be determined that night. He realized that he must stay spiritually vigilant. He must be fervent in prayer. He must prevail in prayer. If Jesus needed to be fervent in prayer to overcome the flesh, if Jesus needed to be vigilant in prayer to defeat the attack of the enemy coming against him, how much more do we? Hallelujah. The eternal purpose of God the salvation of mankind and the defeat of Satan depends on it. Jesus made his decision. He persisted in prayer until the spirit prevailed, until the flesh cried out, no longer take this cup from me, but instead the flesh said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In the garden, in prayer, the triumph of the cross, the salvation of mankind, and the defeat of Satan was sealed. The battle was won in the garden, in prayer, that night, as Jesus prevailed and agonized in prayer. But because the disciples failed to pray, guess what happened? They failed Jesus that night. Jesus prayed and he prevailed. They slept and they failed. I want to say that again so it gets into your spirit. Jesus prevailed in prayer that night. They slept so they failed. Every one of them that night would abandon him. And Peter, the one who swore that he would even die for Jesus, that night three times he denied that he even knew Jesus. Folks, maybe if he had prayed in the garden, he would have been able to stand strong and not deny Jesus. But they failed. Will we pray fervently that the will and purpose of God may prevail and that we will not fail? That we will not fail. Second principle, the arena of the battle is the spiritual realm, but the impacts of the battle are manifest in the physical realm. Folks, what is taking place invisible to the human eye is manifest in the circumstances and situations that we see in our life and in the world. The spiritual battle has an impact in the physical world. Invisible to our eyes, a battle constantly rages between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Paul said it this way, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He's saying that we are in a spiritual battle. And the scene of the spiritual conflict is right here on earth as Satan vies for control of the earth and as he fights for the control of individual lives. Now get this, the earth rightly belongs to Jesus Christ. He created it and he gave it to man to rule and administer his kingdom. But man forfeited his dominion by rebelling against God and choosing Satan when they sinned in the garden. Jesus purchased it back for himself on the cross. He redeems us and the world through his blood at Calvary. While Jesus hung on the cross, Satan thought that he had won. But on the third day, 
Jesus rose up triumphing over death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. And Satan's ultimate defeat was sealed that day. 1 John 3.8 says Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Folks, Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And when we surrender our life to Jesus, when we walk in faith, when we pray, when we seek the Lord, guess what? The devil has no hold over us. His works are nullified over our life. We have authority in the name of Jesus. Amen? But though the world rightfully belongs to Christ, Satan seeks to maintain control by force. Like when God had rejected Saul from reigning over Israel and David had already been anointed to, king, to be king, but there was a time where Saul still remained on the throne and by force he tried to hold on to what was no longer his. He tried to kill David. He drove David from Israel. So that David had to go into the land of Philistia. Why? Because even though Saul was no longer God's appointed king, he was trying to hold on to what was no longer his. That's what Satan is doing. This world, he, he has no rightful claim over your life. He has no rightful claim over your husband or your wife. He has no rightful claim over your children. He has no rightful claim over your health. He has no rightful claim over your finances. He has no rightful claim over the church. He has no rightful claim over this world. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. But Satan is seeking to hold on to that which is no longer rightfully his. And the warfare continues today for the control of lives. And Satan is applying tremendous force to keep people under his control. But when you enter into intercessory prayer, you are rushing into the thick of battle in the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Folks, prayer is the battering ram that demolishes the strongholds of the enemy over lives. Hallelujah. And it frees them from the power that is holding them captive. Now let me tell you something. This kind of prayer is hard work. Jesus agonized in the garden in prayer. It's hard work. That's what Paul meant when he spoke of Epaphras and he said he is laboring fervently in prayer. Labor speaks of hard work, does it not? He's laboring fervently in prayer. But it's glorious to realize that prayer is the deciding factor in the spiritual battle. Prayer releases the victory of the cross and brings the downfall of Satan to bear in lives. But let me tell you something, Satan is a very stubborn enemy. He doesn't give up easily. He yields only what and when he is forced to yield. A vague general prayer like, God save the world in Jesus' name, amen. That's not gonna go very far. Amen. When you pray and lay claim to a person for Christ, you must be specific and you must fight for their soul in prayer. And when you do that in the authority of Jesus' name, Satan must yield. Hallelujah to the name of the Lord. 
So what do we do? We pray something like this. Lord, my friend or my husband or my son, John, is bound by the power of Satan. His life is being ruined and twisted. I come against the powers of darkness in the name of Jesus Christ and in the victory of the cross. I ask you, Father, to free him from this power of Satan that is holding him captive. Break the chains of darkness over his life. Let your spirit bring conviction upon his heart. Bring an end to the work of Satan in his life that is blinding him and draw him unto yourself that his soul might be saved. Do whatever you need to do, Jesus, to bring him unto you. You got to fight. You got to fight in prayer. Don't fight with your husband. Don't fight with your children because they are not the problem. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Fight against the enemy. That's where the battle is. And it is only through prayer that souls are set free from the snare of the devil that is holding them captive. And we need to realize that Satan is persistent. Do you notice that Jesus didn't just pray one time? He went back again and he went back again. He prayed persistently until the victory came. Even after you begin to see a little bit of victory, folks, you must continue to pray, to hold the ground that you have gained, and to press onward. The minute you win ground, Satan is going to counterattack to try to regain that territory. Folks, we often make a serious mistake when we begin to see signs of victory in the life of those that we have been interceding for. We say, oh, praise God, they came to church once, and we stop praying. Or, oh, praise God, they quit smoking or they quit drinking. They're not saved yet, but praise God, they quit smoking and we stop praying or we lax off in prayer. Or maybe they've even gone forward to receive Christ and they've started to read their Bibles, so we quit praying. But folks, often the seed has not had the chance to take root and to grow strong. And so the enemy will come back again to reclaim that life. We need to continue to pray long and vigilantly and firmly until we see complete victory. Amen? The wonderful truth is this. Satan has already been defeated. But the victory has to be applied through prayer in specific situations and specific lives. As we go into battle, we need to go with confidence that the battle has already been won. Jesus has triumphed over Satan, and so Satan must yield when we come against him in the power and the authority of Jesus' name. You know, I heard a story several years ago about uh, the famed actor Charlton Heston when he was starring in the movie Ben-Hur. And if you're not familiar with that movie, it's one of those epic dramas like the Ten Commandments, you know, one of those big dramas. It's It's a beautiful movie. It's a Christian story, and I encourage you to watch it. It's one of those old ones, but it's great. So Charlton Heston was preparing for his starring role, and one of the key uh, scenes in the movie was when Charlton Heston's character is running a chariot race. Ben-Hur is running a chariot race. And Charlton Heston trained with a chariot driver for five weeks to learn how to drive a chariot. But when it came time for that scene, he said to the chariot trainer, he said, the thing I'm most nervous about is running in this race. He said, because it's one thing to train with you, but I'm going to actually be racing against eight other teams 
of chariot drivers. And he said, I think I can drive the chariot, but I don't think I can win the race. And the trainer said, oh, you don't worry about that, Mr. Heston. You just stay in the chariot and drive it. We'll make sure you win the race. <laughs> Hallelujah, because what they meant, you know, through, through the magic of, of editing films and what have you, they would ensure that he won the race. Well, folks, let me tell you something. Sometimes the battle wages hot, and we say, Jesus, I don't think I can stand any longer. Jesus, I don't think I can make it. And Jesus said, just keep on faith, because I'll make sure that you win the race. Hallelujah to the name of the Lord. Folks, we got to lay claim to the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. And as we lay claim to that victory through vigilant prayer, life after life will be set free as we come against the strongholds of Satan and we tear them down with the powerful weapon of prayer in the authority of Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now, folks, Satan knows that when we pray vigilantly, it spells his defeat. So he's going to fight you all the more to keep you from praying than from any other thing that you do. Satan doesn't care if you're successful at your job and make a lot of money. Satan doesn't care if you have a big house and drive a big car, but Satan does care if you commit yourself to vigilantly pray for the kingdom purpose of God to be fulfilled. And you know what Jesus said? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Satan knows that, and he will play to our fleshly nature to do everything to distract us and keep us from praying. He'll encourage us to keep too busy to pray because he knows that all we do is powerless apart from prayer. And you'll be amazed when you commit yourself to pray at the disturbances that will come your way. You say, okay, I'm going to set this time aside. I'm closing the door. I'm going to go and pray. And then guess what happens? The phone starts ringing. I got to talk to you right now. You'll suddenly remember something that you have to do. Or suddenly... You become sleepy. You were running about doing X, Y, and Z, but suddenly you turn the door to pray and you get a strong case of dropsy. You're just falling out in sleep. Satan will do anything to keep you from prayer. He'll even have you have a fight with your husband or wife, so you'll say, how can I pray when I'm like, you know, in the spirit? He'll do whatever he has to do to keep you from praying. But if that happens, if you have a fight with your husband or wife, instead of saying, well, I can't pray now, say, honey, come, we need to pray together because the enemy's up to something. Yeah, that's right. Hallelujah. That's right. Amen. We must pray through to victory. Jesus prayed through to victory. He went back three times and he continued to pray until the victory was wrought. He persisted in prayer. And that's what we must do if we would see the victory won. Third principle that we see from this uh, event is the outcome of the battle is determined by our commitment to prayer. Jesus prevailed that night, but he turned to his disciples who had fallen asleep 
And he said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Folks, that was a warning to them because he knew that the trial that was coming upon him was going to affect them as well. The battle that was being waged was not only on him, but on them as well. And he said, you need to watch and pray so that you don't fall into the devil's temptation. But that night, as I noted, they all failed him. Folks, when we fail in prayer, we fail everywhere. Leonard Ravenhill, the classic revivalist writer who I love, if you can read anything by Leonard Ravenhill, read it. It will just stir your soul ablaze. But he actually made that statement. When we fail in prayer, we fail everywhere. Jesus prayed and he prevailed. The disciples failed to pray and they failed. The disciples fell asleep and so they fell into temptation. They were not spiritually prepared and empowered to stand against the attack of the enemy that night that came not only against Jesus, but against them. And we even find in the garden, Peter's one of the guys that fell asleep. Now the soldiers come to arrest Jesus and Peter draws a sword and he cuts off not a soldier's ear, but a servant's ear. Folks, Peter was trying to fight a spiritual battle with a fleshly weapon because he had failed to pray that night. And that's what happens when we fail to pray. The battle comes and then we're scurrying about trying to find some way to to, to respond to the battle. But when we respond in our flesh, we're going to fail. And we read the sad words of verse 56. It says, and they all forsook him and fled. They failed to pray, and they all failed Jesus that night. And the chapter closes with Peter's threefold denial, saying, I never even knew the man. They failed. They allowed the enemy to win over their lives. They failed because they failed to pray. Jesus is still saying to us, watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. Watch and pray. We must realize now the urgency of the battle and obey Jesus' command to watch and pray. That's the only way that we will be able to stand in these last days. It's the only way that we're going to see God's will and purpose prevail in our life, in our marriage, in our families, in our church, in our community, and in the world. That's the only way God's kingdom purpose will be advanced is through prayer. The only way we'll see our family saved is through prayer. The only way we'll see our city impacted is through prayer. The only way we will see God's vision for our church fulfilled is through prayer. The only way we'll see our new building built is through prayer. Hallelujah to the name of the Lord. Mark 13, 35 through 36 warns, For you do not know when the master will return. In the evening at midnight before dawn or daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. Folks, I don't want God to find me sleeping when Jesus comes back. Amen. 
I want to be vigilant. I want to watch and pray. I want to be fervent in prayer so that we can see God move, so that we can see lives change, so that God's kingdom purpose in this church and in this city and in this nation and in this world can be advanced. Amen. Church, we must wake up and realize that we are in a battle. And God has left us, the church, with the authority of Jesus Christ to do his work and to accomplish his will. It's time to shake ourselves awake because some of us have grown complacent spiritually. We need to shake ourselves awake in the name of Jesus lest we be found sleeping in the midst of the battle. We can't afford to fall asleep because the battle is raging hot And it's going to be all the more intense as the return of Jesus Christ approaches. What will invade, be allowed to invade our churches or our homes depends on our watchfulness and our prayer. Souls will be won or lost depending upon the watchfulness of our prayer. Let's ask ourselves the question, are we asleep in the midst of battle? If we are, it's time to wake up. God is calling us to make a fresh commitment to watch and pray. A fresh commitment to spiritual vigilance, to be a people dedicated to fervent prayer. And so I want to call everyone who calls New Life Assembly their church home to make January a month of fasting and prayer a month of fasting and prayer. Now, however you choose to commit to fast, you could commit one day a week or one meal a day, however frequently you choose, but I encourage everybody to make a commitment to fast however frequently you choose and how your health allows and to pray every single day. Pray every single day for God to move in our families, in our homes, for the salvation of our loved ones, for God to pour out his spirit afresh in this church, for God to raise us up to make an impact in this community, and for God's will and purpose to be advanced in this city and in the world. Let's make these our prayer priorities in this month of January. But you know, the very first prayer that we need to pray before we can pray any other prayer is the prayer of faith and repentance. Because we have to have a relationship with God to be able to pray prayers that are answered. We have all sinned and sin has separated us from God. That's the reason that Jesus came and gave his life on the cross. And when we repent, that means to turn away from, we turn away from our sinful life and we turn to God in faith. When we repent and ask him to forgive us of our sins, then we are born again. We're brought into right relationship with God. And then we know that we can have confidence to pray and that he will hear and answer us. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today, And you would say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to have the confidence of knowing that I'm in right relationship with God so that when I pray, I can be confident to know that he will hear and answer me. I want to repent and place my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's your heart's cry and you would say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to come to Jesus or pray for me, Pastor. I want to come back to Jesus. I used to serve him and drifted away, but I need to come back. If you fit into either of those categories, would you just slip your hand up and say, pray for me. I want to come to Jesus or I want to come back to Jesus. Is there anyone here? Hallelujah. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to assume then that we are all uh, believers. And for those of us who have already accepted Christ as our Savior, God is calling us to make a fresh commitment as we start this year to watch and pray. A fresh commitment to not fall asleep spiritually, but to be vigilant, to be a people dedicated to fervent, prevailing prayer. And so I want us to make a commitment today. I'm calling every one of us to respond, if you will, to commit to fast and pray through the month of January. That'll look different for each one of us, but we may be committing to, to fast one day a week or one meal for the day, or however God deals with your heart. But let's pray for God's will to be done in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our community. Let's pray for souls to be saved, for God's kingdom purpose to be advanced in and through us, his church here at New Life. Let's pray for God to pour out his Holy Spirit in a fresh and living way on his church, our church and his church throughout this nation and the world so that we will rise up as a powerful testimony a powerful army in these last days. If it's your heart's desire to watch and pray with Jesus, to commit to fasting and prayer, would you stand to your feet right where you are? And if you would, just slip out and come to this altar just for a moment, and you speak to God from your heart. You make this commitment to the Lord to say, God, I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm going to watch and pray, and I'm committing to make January a month of fasting and prayer as I join together with my church family to see your will accomplished in our homes, our church, our city, and this world. Lift up your voice and talk to the Lord right now, would you? Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord God. And we confess that oftentimes we have been like Peter, James, and John where we have been spiritually asleep when we should have been praying vigilantly. Father, we just stand before you today, Lord God. And we ask you to forgive us, to have mercy on us, Lord, for not praying as we ought to have prayed, for not being vigilant and fervent in prayer as we should be. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. But this is a new year, and we don't want to stay where we were. And so this morning, we make a fresh commitment to you to be a people who will watch and pray, Lord God. To be a people who will be fervent. To be a people who will be vigilant. To be a people who will be persistent in prayer, Lord God. To see your kingdom purposes prevail in our lives, our homes, our church, this city, this nation, and the world. And so this morning, we commit ourselves to fast. We make a commitment. It's between us and you, Lord. Help us by your Holy Spirit to fulfill the commitment to fast. And Father, we make a commitment to pray every single day with our church family for your will, for your kingdom purpose to be done in our lives, our home, our church, this city, this nation, and the world. Because we want your kingdom to be lifted up. We want the dominion of darkness to be defeated. And we want your glory to fill the whole earth, Lord God. Help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to live out the commitment we make to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift to help support our ministry? You can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you, and we hope you will join us again.